On this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts, we talk to one of the most popular actors to play the Man of Steel, Dean Cain. We talk about Lois and Clark, Supergirl, and the nooks and crannies of his varied filmography. Plus, we take a look at box office champ Incredibles 2. Now, straight from the classified section of the Daily Planet, this is 1.21 Gigawatts! And welcome to 1.21 Gigawatts, episode number 29 for June 2018. I'm your host, Brad Barton. This podcast is meant to shine a spotlight on the aspects of geek pop culture that I think are cool and noteworthy and should be celebrated. And I intend to do that not only by bringing you interviews with the creators of said nerdly awesomeness, but also with a series of rotating segments and features that take a deep dive into a specific geeky topic. It's been 14 years since Pixar Animation Studios brought us The Incredibles, courtesy of writer-director Brad Bird. The decade-and-a-half wait for a sequel didn't seem to dampen anyone's enthusiasm, though, considering Incredibles 2 opened over Father's Day weekend with a box office haul of $180 million in North America, the largest animated opening of all time by a mile, the largest opening for a PG-rated movie of all time, and the eighth highest opening for any movie of all time! But that doesn't inherently mean that it was good, right? Luckily, I've assembled my own family to weigh in on the latest adventure from the Parr family. Mr. Incredible, Elastigirl, Violet, Dash, and Baby Jack-Jack. Grab your super suit and watch out for spoilers, because we've got them. And enjoy our review of Incredibles 2. When reviewing a movie about a super-powered family, it requires a super-powered family of reviewers. And uh, that's where we come in. So um, I excitedly welcome back to the 1.21 Gigawatts microphone my magnificent wife, Lulu French. Oh, hi. Oh, hi. And our awesome super-powered son, Scott Barton. Hey. Hey. So um, Scott has seen this movie twice in two days. Lulu and I have both seen it once. So we are doing our part to contribute to the record-breaking gross, opening gross of this movie. Um, And uh, Lulu has been patiently waiting because she got to see it before I did, before erupting a flood of excitement and discussion about this movie. Um, And I know that for you, you are super excited about both the action as well as the family stuff. They're happening simultaneously. Um, And I thought it was really interesting, actually, the balance that they struck, because sometimes they would be all action, 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 action. And then meanwhile, Bob is struggling with Jack-Jack at home, which was sort of an interesting back and forth. Yeah, I think they did both of those really well. That the action superhero parts of the movie, as well as the family parts, they were both engaging. There was not one storyline that was dull, you know. Um, and I, th- I think they balanced each other out really well, as well. Yes, I do as well. Um, I want to talk about some of the action stuff a little bit more because uh, it's super awesome and a lot of the media has already been saying how Marvel and DC could stand to take a page from Pixar stuff because they really did an incredible job with their action scenes. And is it be- An incredible job? Oh, <laughs> the first unintentional pun of the segment. Um, there will be more, I have no doubt. 
Uh, is it? Do you guys think that it's because that they're animated that they're sort of free to do these crazy camera angles or more fast cuts? Or what do well, you that think? definitely helps. You're de- you're far less limited when you have mm-hmm. animation. You can do whatever you imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, I sort of wondered that watching one of the big early action scenes is Elastigirl, who honestly is kind of the star of this movie, at least from a from an action standpoint. Um, has an awesome motorcycle chase trying to um, chase after an out-of-control train. It's an amazing sequence, and it moves so fast. It moves so, so fast, Um, but she's so cool. Um, Again, cementing The Incredibles as the greatest Fantastic Four franchise uh, on movie screens today. (laughs) Yeah, watching that scene, I could definitely see how much animation and technology has progressed in the 14 years since uh, the original film, which we were watching recently because we have a three-year-old who is seeing a lot of these Pixar films for the first time. Yes, because of the three-year-old. That's why we're (laughs) watching The Incredibles. And I couldn't help but notice how much more rich it was and how many more shots there were and how fast (laughs) it moved. I mean, it was just it was constant. It was uh, quote unquote action packed. Um, yeah. You know what's funny about that? When we had Incredibles on the other day, and I brought this up with you, uh, the part in the original Incredibles when they crash into the water and Dash is saying, We're dead. We're dead. <laughs> and they're there, and Violet's hair looks sort of like computer animated wet hair would look like 14 years ago, which was then amazing, looked amazing. But now you look at it after seeing all the progressions they've made and you're like, uh, not, looks a little plasticky. Yeah, and because we are big nerds, you know, we would listen to the directors talking about, you know, yeah, oh, oh, hair, water, right? At the time, they were still figuring it out and you know, then you, there's the Finding Dory, you know, where the water is amazing. Yeah, I mean, the, sure. it's just so much progress has been made. Well, what sort of cracked me up then is that with Violet specifically in this movie, at one point she's like using a hairdryer on her hair, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's such a ridiculous thing. Like she just points it in a different direction, and each time her hair is going these crazy ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe because we were talking about it, every time someone there was crazy hair animation, I'm like, oh, not bad, Pixar, not bad at all. Yeah, and if I can backtrack a bit. You were uh, saying that this is a last girl's movie, which was awesome, and I and also think it that was addressed by the characters. Bob felt a bit uh, mm-hmm. slighted, yeah. you know, that she had the focus, um, but also was very contemporary, right? I think uh, filmmakers are, you know, highlighting women more, and so that uh, was most likely. I mean, very intentional, you know, for Pixar and little did they know that the, you know, women's movement would really take off since they first, you know, conceived of this film. You know, what's interesting then along those lines, because Bob, Mr. Incredible, it is really makes no bones about the fact that he's jealous. He's not happy mm-hmm. about the fact that he's getting shown up, even though it's his wife and he loves her. But like, wait, I'm the thing, though. I'm the main guy. I'm the hero. And um, that there's sort of this, uh, you know, pur- purposeful, uh, gosh, he, that he's got to deal with this thing the whole time. Which oh, gosh. Gee, sort of, God, jolly. Gee are you talking to me? <laughs> Is this sass? I don't know if you guys could hear earlier, 
Lulu's ring clinking around a glass. That's her fourth glass of scotch, and that's why the behavior. It makes for a better interview. <laughs> this is an interview. This is a this is an intervention, is what it is. So what's your the, next question for me? My next question is: Is the actual? We could debate Elastigirl versus uh, Mr. Incredible. I would put out there that the actual star of this movie is composer Michael Giacchino. Oh. Discuss. Cue Scott. He's a big Giacchino fan. Yep. Just coming home today, we had an argument of Giacchino versus John Williams. Which we won't get into because that's a whole different segment. But the point is that Giacchino is amazing. Um, And I really do think that this movie would be a different movie were it not for Giacchino. Brad doesn't want to get into it because uh, Scott said Giacchino was better than John Williams. He doesn't want to get into it because he knows he's wrong. That's why. Good Lord, what is happening here? There is a lot of sass being thrown around this microphone right now. Non-believers. Um, G- All right, so I'm going to give you Giacchino props. I'm giving you huge Giacchino props. So like when Elastigirl is sneaking around trying to get near the screen slaver, the bad guy in this movie, um, it's so creepy. Um, walking around in this abandoned building, and I think yeah, a lot of that is Yeah, it was a little Silence of the Lambs it at was. that moment, right? A little Silence of the Lambs, a little seven, almost in a way. I'm making some really bold comparisons. But at least <laughs> it's Silence of the Lambs and seven before the really horrible stuff started, when it's just like, yeah. this is a really dank hallway. Yeah. Yeah, that's when it really seemed like it. Um, I will also say another one of the stars of this movie is the production design. Pixar does it every single time. They're amazing, and they did it here for sure. Oh, the 60s aesthetic is gorgeous. It is. Uh, Groovy, I should say. Oh, well, snaps for you. Snap, snap, snap. (laughs) Um, Right, for sure. Now, I am... I do have a few. I'm going to say I'm not 100% on board with this movie. I've got some criticisms. What? Oh. Gasp, gasp. Go ahead, nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Should I mention that we're recording this on Father's Day? So this is these two being nice to me for the historical record. I just want the record to show. Um, okay. So, um, Screen Slaver is the bad guy. Who could it be? I don't know, because we really only know two other characters in this whole movie who it could be. Is it Winston Dever, the mm-hmm. guy who's excitedly bringing back the heroes? Or could it possibly be his sister, whose name is Evelyn Dever? <laughs> Evil Endeavor. Oh, snaps, Brad. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm just saying. I did not pick up on that. And then you cast Catherine Keener in that voice, who is amazing and she's awesome. But like last time we saw her was in Get Out, where she's like, no, she's the mom. She's super great. Oh, of course, she's part of the evil plot. Mm -hmm. Spoilers for Get Out. Sorry, everyone. Yeah. Remember when I said yesterday that you had already spoiled this movie for me? Yes. How did I do that? You said there's an unbreakable thing going on with the movie. You said there's like an uh, unbreakable thing. Unbreakable thing. All right, so what unbreakable thing did you see? I'm not even sure what you mean. Uh, you know, uh, that's what the movie was called, right? The M. Night Shyamalan? Yeah, Unbreakable. Yeah, well, it's the, you know, it's... Bruce uh, Willis. Yeah. Yep. Frozone. Sure, yeah, they were all sure. there. <laughs> Frozone, who's in the wheelchairs, you know, is like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. I've discovered you. And he was the one doing it the whole time. 
Oh, yeah, sure. Okay, yes. So your closest ally, of course, is right. your is your greatest villain. Yeah. 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 Okay. He, he was the mastermind. Yeah. That kind of made him emerge. All right. I could see that. I could yeah. see that. Classic mastermind move. Um, there are lots of things that we could talk about this with about this movie, but we we've got to, of course, uh, address the um, demon slash fire slash uh, multiplying dimension hopping elephant in the room. Yes. That would be Jack Jack. Jack Jack and Scott and I have been counting his superpowers and we got yes. up to 13 or 14. Yes. And when I saw the movie the second time, I counted several more. So there may actually oh, be 17. Wow. Like they say in the movie. They do say in the movie that he's got 17 powers. Right. Um, do you wish to try to name as many of them as you can at this time? Yes. Okay. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. This will be the grand finale. Okay. Right. Number one, he can light on fire. That's the obvious one. Fire. Okay. Mimicry. Mimicry. Yep. Yes. Mimicry, which he does with Edna. My God, Edna's so good in this movie. Oh, okay, go so ahead. So good, yeah. He can turn into a demon. Demon. Okay, he can turn into metal, which we saw in the first movie. Metal. We didn't really see that in we this one, did we? didn't see that in this movie. Okay. He shoots lasers out of his eyes. Lasers. That's five. Uh, he's rubbery. Yes, he can become totally elastic mm-hmm. Sure. Right. There was a brief moment with Violet and Dash and Jack-Jack, and they were all in the Incredibile. And <laughs> <laughs> Jack-Jack did some weird thing with the surroundings where it's like, Everything was weird and dimensionally for a second. Oh, yes, that's true. He sort of brought them into his crazy dimensional world or something. Mm-hmm. Does that yeah. count as one or is that sure, the same? Sure, why not? Why okay. not? That's seven. He can shoot off like a rocket. Yes, he's got rocket when sneeze. He, sneezes. Uh-huh. Um, he can travel through dimensions normally. Yes, normal dimension uh-huh. hopping. He can he can go through solid objects. All right, move through solid objects. That's ten. Um, he can, we should he, be writing He got down. really, really big at one yeah, point. he got really big. Yeah. Big Bertha baby. Big Bertha baby. Hmm? Uh-huh. Did we... Big we, birthing baby. That's did. 11. That's 11. Oh, we should have been making a list this I whole know, time. I know, I know. I'm losing track of what I've said and what um, I haven't. Um, oh, we know uh, these. <laughs> we're, we're bombing. Dude, <laughs> we should have made this list before... It's okay. ...recordings, before my interview started. It's okay. Once again, this is not an interview. It's an intervention. Stop drinking scotch and insulting me on Father's Day. <laughs> I'll think about it. <laughs> the point is, we are big fans of The Incredibles 2. Well done. Once again, Pixar, like you need us to tell you that uh, for knocking it out of the park one more time. Um, uh, are there any uh, last thoughts that you want to leave your adoring public with before we sign off? New math for life. <laughs> <laughs> for life. <laughs> Learn it, learn it, live it, love it, everyone. Have an incredible Father's Day, everybody. Thanks. This isn't tearing on Father's Day. But is that for me? No. For all the other fathers out there. Okay. You heard it, dads. Happy belated Father's Day. Towards the end of May, I was asked a question you don't hear every day. Would I like to moderate a Dean Cain panel at a comic book convention inside a theme park? If you need to pause the podcast to process that collection of words, I understand. The answer to that inquiry is, of course, yes. And so four days later, I found myself on stage at the Showcase Theater inside Six Flags Great Adventure, perched on a stool next to Dean Cain, star of Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman, which ran for four seasons in the mid-90s. 
with an audience full of comic book convention goers and fans, many in costume, and with the occasional roar of a DC Comics-themed roller coaster happening just outside. We talked about Superman, Supergirl, took questions from the audience, and had a lot of fun. Without further ado, Dean Kane. Well, I'm, I'm happy to dive in. We're, we're so excited to have you join us uh, this afternoon. You, of course, all know him as the star of uh, Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. He was the one with the superpowers, in case you're confused on that. And the one who didn't have him, sort of, as well. <laughs> so, so we're here at Six Flags, uh, under the literal shadow of the DC franchise, with coasters like Batman the Ride and Superman Ultimate Flight. The point being that, that you can't swing a lasso of truth these days without hitting a... Uh, a superhero film or TV show, the franchise is everywhere. But back in 93, with Lois and Clark, a Superman TV show wasn't necessarily a, a slam dunk idea because the franchise at that point on screen had been a Superboy TV show a little bit before then, which, okay, sure, that existed. That was a thing. It existed. And, uh, and Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, was which also about existed. five years earlier, yeah, which is, I think, even the Christopher Reeve fans might be like the need to talk about that one. It's okay. Uh, my, my point is that Lois and Clark could have been greeted with a, with a big national eh, but that wasn't the case. It, it hit and it, and it flew. Uh, did, did that surprise you or the, or the cast or the crew? Involved? Well, you know, when they said to me that we're, we're going to do Superman, we're going to come back and do the new Superman, it seemed like a really outside-of-the-box idea at the time because nobody had done superhero shows and to bring back Superman, it was a lot of heat, a lot of pressure. Yeah. Um, when I first heard of it, I was like, ah, I don't know if that'll work. But once I read the script and saw what it was about and how it was about Clark and Lois and how it was about the romance and, you know, Clark was the character, Superman was the disguise, it was a whole different take on it. And then I immediately forgot about all the rest of it and just enjoyed what we were doing. Yeah. We hoped it would do well. You never know how you're going to be received when you do a show. You hope people like it. And, uh, and it was. There you go. It That's was great. Yeah, and you know, it's one of those things you don't know if the chemistry is there. You may have chemistry, it may seem like you have chemistry yeah. in real life, but once you see it on film, it doesn't look that way. Fortunately, uh, it worked out well with the two of us. Well, can, can we talk about that for a sec? From no, what I, what no. I, <laughs> no, forget it. That's it. Smash. <laughs> uh, from, from what I understand, were you the first of the duo hired and then a parade of Lois Lane finalists uh, screen tested opposite you to find where that chemistry was? So if that's correct, I guess my real question is, uh, how many breath mints were required during that process? <laughs> well, uh, I'll tell you the story on that. Well, I was cast on a Thursday, I think it was. And then that following Monday, I had to come and read with uh, 10 different Lois Lanes. And I had read with a couple, two different Lois Lanes at Network. Um, there were three there. Mm. Um, and Terry was one of them, but I didn't read with her. I would never read with her at Network. But they had to make a decision on me quickly. So I was chosen on that Thursday. And that Monday, I had to come back in and and read opposite a number of Lois Lanes. And in that Lois Lane audition, she is intoxicated. Sorry for those out there who don't know what that is, but so, um, and, and she is coming script, in, in the script. <laughs> she, was, she was, well, I won't get into that. Uh, no, so, so she came in and she wanted, she immediately opens the door and kisses Clark Kent and then proceeds to um, try to seduce him, if you will. And he does not. I know. It's my thought That's what as well. I was saying. Um, that's what happens. <laughs> that's what happens. That's how it works. So, uh, so I had ten actresses in a row burst through the door, kiss me on the lips, and then 
proceeded to try to seduce me. I thought, you know what, this acting thing might work out. <laughs> this is a good thing. Uh, and it was great, but the last one to come in was Terry. Uh, and and uh, she was the, the best best actress, and she might have been the best kisser. Hey uh, no, she was, it was great, and it worked out really well. And, and she had a lot more experience as an actor at the time, and um, so it was great to have such a strong character, you know, str a strong partner. I think she was still um, the greatest Lois Lane of all time. Uh, I think she is the best that ever played the role. Um, I love Margot Kidder's version, Rest in Peace, yep. um, but I really preferred the way Terry played it, and I thought that was the best She's great. of the bunch. I still, I th still think she's the best. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. See, it's good. Absolutely, it's, it's hard to argue, she's fantastic. What, was there any stigma during the casting process for Lois and Clark or, or the early days of the series where people questioned like the career value of stepping into, like dedicating yourself to a spandex role? Did anyone ever say like, <laughs> Dean, I don't know if you wanna do this. Or... Listen, they could they, there's nothing they could have said to me because I was 26 years old, <laughs> I needed a job, I wanted a job, and this was a perfect job. There might have been, you know, at the time there was the stigma of being a television actor versus a, That's versus true. being a film actor. And then it changed as time went on where you had to be a television actor in order to be a film actor. George Clooney, uh, Johnny Depp. And then it came a time where all you do is be famous for 15 minutes and you get a shot on a film and whatever. So it, it kind of runs different circles. But I wasn't concerned about there being a stigma about it. Um, although right after I was cast, my buddy and I were, we were skiing. It's probably not the smartest thing to do right after you get cast a Superman. <laughs> but we were out skiing, and we're sitting in the lift, and it's quiet. The snow's coming down, and we're going up, and we're, we're not talking. And finally, he just goes, dude, for the rest of your life, they're going to call you Superman. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can't even fathom what that means. Um, but here I am 25 years later, and I still get called Superman. Absolutely. I'll tell you what, I've been called a lot worse, <laughs> and I'll take it. So I, I, uh, I embrace being part of it. I embrace the whole the whole world, and I embrace the, having played that role, and I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I get, there's always the jokes. Sure. You no, know, every time I get on an airplane, believe me, it happens. <laughs> They're like, really? You're on the plane? I'm like, okay, I've heard that one. You know I've heard that. Um, but it, it, it's just a, a wonderful role to have played, and I'm, I'm, I'll always embrace it. The, the character of Superman is celebrating his 80th anniversary this year. Uh, and of course, 80 years 80 old. 80 years, 80 years. And of course, still going strong in comics and in the movies, on screen, uh, Batman v Superman and Justice League. What, what do you think it is about this character that after 80 years remains so appealing to so many generations of fans? This isn't a character where, like, grandpa's coming up to us and said, let me tell you about the superheroes. <laughs> I mean, it still sells like gangbusters and is crazy popular. Uh, I just think I, you know, the, the he's one of the first superheroes ever, if not, if not sure. the first superhero ever. And he just embodies, you know, all that's good. Um, you know, that S is for hope. Um, and I, I just think that he is a, he is that idea of, of, of a character maybe we all aspire to be to some degree. The newer incarnation is different, mm -hmm. and it's a lot darker than I prefer. I think, you know, Henry Cavill does a great job playing the sure. character, he's a great actor. Um, you know, he's kind of good looking, I guess he's fine. Uh, <laughs> and he just does a great job, but it's a very dark universe, and I don't love yeah. that universe for Superman as much. I like Superman being a character of light and hope and you know, I like there to be some romance and some some humor, and they don't have much of that in the new uh, sure. the new incarnations. But I mean, that's 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 what the character is to me, and um, I just think it'll be an enduring character. I don't think it'll ever go out of style. I mean, he may be 80 now. I think 
at 180, you'll still be pretty cool. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny that you, that you bring that up about a preference about different super men uh, that have taken, or, or approaches to the character that uh, producers have taken. Do you, do you feel a sense of uh, ownership over the character, either currently or back in the day? Like, and maybe you've partially answered this, like, do you see current iterations and say, Superman wouldn't do that? I'm Superman, and I know one thing about Superman. I, 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 the first part, yes, I'll say Superman wouldn't do that. I don't, I don't claim <laughs> the Superman part of it. But like, I'll tell you, stay off my lawn. No, um, I, uh, like, even in the, the first Batman, uh, the first, I guess it was Batman versus Superman, where, you know, Superman is throwing people through buildings and stuff, I was like, how many people just died? You know, you, you yeah. know, Superman would do anything to stop one death, yeah. let alone be angry and be throwing people through uh, buildings and stuff. So I couldn't get past that part of it. That bothered me uh, in that sense. I, I think Superman, that, that's his greatest strength and his greatest weakness. Mm -hmm. As Batman would always say, would always say or as, as the people he fights against would always say, his greatest weakness is that, that he cares about human life. Mm -hmm. And I, I like that part of him, and I would sure. have liked to have seen that. So in that sense, I, I did go, Superman wouldn't do that. Yeah. My son uh, couldn't stand that first one just because Superman, you know, died in that one. He was like, I didn't like it. Oh, spoilers, Dean. Oh. Yeah, I think everybody knows about that one by now. He comes back in the next one. Oh, great. Fine. No, I can't watch it. I didn't say it. My lips aren't moving. You can't see anything. Well, uh, we uh, obviously could, could talk about Superman all day long and, and would be happy to do so, but there are so many other credits on, on your resume, and I'd like to play a little game with the audience if, if you're on board. Bring it. Um, do we have any Dean Cain superfans in the house here, beyond even just Superman? We're going obscure now, people. All right, so, so put, put your hand in the air. I need, a, I need a volunteer from the audience, and that is an extremely bright light right in my face. Hi, you're right here on the, on the end. That's convenience. Um, come on up here, if you would, please. That's convenience. That's convenience, exactly. I'm sorry, all of you in the middle of a row. All right, oh, there's steps. come on like, up here. How are like, you? All right. What's your name? Kate. This is Kate, everyone. All right, Let's Kate. hear it. Let's hear it for Kate. She has no idea what she's in for. How are Kate? you, Kate? Kate, why don't you? Come on, Kate. Come on, Ed. Oh nice God. to meet you. My 13-year-old self is dying. 13-year-old <laughs> self. Kate, this is for you now. Uh, Kate, where are you from? Um, Hazlitt. Hazlitt. You're going to say New Jersey. Never heard of it. She All was right. going to say Jersey. <laughs> Uh, and, I like um, your pen. Kate, what is, what is your favorite uh, Dean? I know, that one's really wobbly. The, the entire time, frankly, these questions have been secondary to me, not falling <laughs> not off falling that off. Uh, what's, uh, what's your favorite project that Dean's been involved with? Uh, obviously, Lois and Clark. That's fine. She's we, got a Lois and Clark pin on there. I'm yeah. going to say yep. that's She's gonna got win. Lois and Clark pin. Since I was 12. That's awesome. <laughs> of course, I was already 27, but let's not talk about it. <laughs> so so here's, here's how this is going to work. I'm going to give you the title of a TV show or movie, and then you're going to tell me whether it is actually one of Dean's real credits or if I've totally made it up or it belongs to someone else, and then Dean is going to tell us the truth, okay? I know, darling, give me those phones. That's cheating. We're going to confiscate her IMDb. All right, so, so let's start easy. Title number one, Beverly Hills 90210. I don't think so. No. Yes. Yes, yes. That's right. Oh, definitely. Maybe we'll have to shift to, shift to the audience also. All right, so Kate Zero, audience one. Great. Uh, that's true. No, that's okay. That's all right. That was um, the first Beverly Hills 90210. The first Beverly Hills. For those of you who only know the second. Was that, was that your first, one of your first credits? It was one of my first credits. It was probably uh, probably my, my fourth credit, third okay. or fourth credit. Okay. It was a big deal because it was the most popular show Heck yeah. kind of in the world for young folks at the time. And 
And I broke up, you know, Brenda and uh, Dylan, I guess, was the name. Yeah. <gasps> I was the kid in Paris. And, uh, there we go. All there right. We go. Now you remember. <laughs> now it's we're more in. difficult when you're sitting she in the She just needed seat. some time to warm up. It's all right. It's good she's got this. All right. Here's, uh-huh. here's number two. Number two, Ripley's Believe It or Not. There we go. There we go. Correct. Definitely. All right. Let's make this harder. Max Havoc, Ring of Fire. Dean or never even heard of that. Well, then fasten your seatbelt. It's going to get worse. With the worst what blonde you hair you've ever seen. What's that? It's correct. Yes, and I had the worst blonde hair dye job. My hair was blonde. You know, you all try that at some point in time. For some of us, it's a bad idea. Bad idea. Uh, so IMDb tells me. I guess I should have let you answer, huh? <laughs> Sorry. IMDb tells me that you played the role of, of Roger Tarso, and I read that too fast at first and thought it was Roger Torso, which I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe that works. He should have been called Roger Torso. <laughs> that would have been better with that blonde hair. Uh, all right, moving on. Desperate Housewives. Did Dean make an appearance or not? I can believe it because I know Terry Hatcher was on that one. So I wouldn't be surprised. Or... Believe it or not. No. No, I did not. I, I might have, though, had they reached out. Yeah, had they asked? Wasn't Terry Hatcher on that? Terry oh, Hatcher. Sure was. That's how they got you. <laughs> kind of just That's did right. one of those. The old, the old switcheroo. You're welcome. Um, You're welcome. The next one, uh, the title is Man Camp. Man Camp. All right, audience, what do you think? Kate is stumped. There's a lot of people shaking their heads yes. Dean, what's the answer? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely Man Camp. A buddy of mine was making that film. So uh, he was making the film. He goes, hey, we're doing this thing. It's called Man Camp, and it's really silly and dumb. And come out here for a day and smack these kids around. I go, okay, sure. That's how it was. That's how it went. So uh, I did, and it was fun and silly. That's the summer you know, camp experience. I like, as an actor, to say yes as often as I can. So regardless of the size of the, of the, the budget of the film, or uh, a lot of times it's, it's through, what's that? Or how about the die job? Or how about the die job? <laughs> that was my idea. I should be just... It was a, it was, I take full credit and full responsibility for having dyed my hair blonde. Oh, it was awful. Um, but yeah, I like to say yes, so I like to do a lot of obscure sure. films sure. like Man Camp, which right. I've never seen, by the way. So You've I never can't. seen? Oh. Well, they've got a great summer program, the Man Camp, I can tell you. <laughs> My kid is going back for the third year. Uh, all right, last one, last one. I'm going to give you three titles, Kate. Uh, this is the, uh, like the grand finale now, and you tell me which one of the three is real. You ready? Space work, drum roll from Dean. I appreciate that. Uh, title number one, Airplane versus Volcano. Title number two, The Three Dogateers. Number three, A Nanny for Christmas. Kate, which is real? She's going to go with a nanny for Christmas. Audience, what do you think? Anyone disagree? They're saying airplane versus volcano is real or fake? They're saying it's real. Ladies and gentlemen, they're all real. Yeah, they are. Every one of them are real. Absolutely. Airplane versus volcano was hysterical. Um, just the title alone says it all. Yes. Who do you think won that one? Volcano. <laughs> I mean, I put out the volcano with the airplane. The That's vol a, we don't want to get, it's, it's, it's very good. But I did. I, I beat the volcano, but it took me. The volcano put up a good fight. Yeah. Better than Joe versus the volcano? <laughs> they spent a lot more money on that one. I well, promise you. 
With that, we've reached the end of competitive play. Let's give it up for our friend Kate. Thank Kate. you so much. Nicely done, Kate. Thank Nicely so done. Much. A pleasure. Well done. Well done. She did well. So uh, a second ago when we were playing with, with Kate, uh, Ripley's Believe It or Not came up, and I'd, I'd love to talk to you for a second about yes. that. Um, yeah, which was not only one of your, your bigger Lois and Clark gigs, but, but eventually had you as a producer as well. Not uh, eventually, right from the get-go. Oh, right from the get-go. All right. How, tell, me, tell me how that all came together, how you came to that project and how you attached yourself as a producer on that. Um, that's fascinating because I do remember that show really, really that well show. There's a secret about that show. That show was extremely lucrative, um, which made me very happy. Uh, so they came to me. I was at Sony. I had an overall deal as a producer because I produce and write and create things all the time. And they said, would you like to host Ripley's Believe It or Not? And I said, no. They go, are you sure? I said, no, I have no interest in doing that whatsoever. Uh, and they said, well, you know, it's, we have a thing here and we'd like to talk to you about it. I said, I'll, I'll come in and listen. I'll, I'll look at some old shows and we'll come down and we'll have a, a meeting about it. And, um, I look at the old Jack Palance shows, you know, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. I can't do Jack Palance. <laughs> um, rest in peace. He's a great guy. Sure. But it was, it was a half-hour show, and it was kind of scary and things. And I thought, okay, but I'm interested in the strange and unusual. I think it's interesting. So I thought to myself, listen, if I were to do this, and it was like an hour-long show, I would like to do it like the, a museum curator of the strange and the unusual, kind of like Robert Ripley did at the very beginning, yeah. and just you know, be there and be on the joke with, with the audience and experience it with them and how I'd like it to look and things. So I came in, um, and they said, okay, so let's talk about what would you like. And I said, I'd like it to look like this, sound like this. And, and they go, okay, good, we're in. I was like, uh... Okay, and then they were like, and so let's talk about you know the kind of money. And I was like, oh, I would like this, this, and this. And they go, okay. So I was like, they kept saying yes. <laughs> so then let's start shooting. They go, okay. So there we go. We started making the show. Wow. So I was a my company was was the company that produced the show, um, and I was a producer on the show, and uh, I was an exec producer, but it was done through my company, and it was great, and. Um, by far the most lucrative project I've ever been involved mm. in. And I loved doing the show. We were the number one show for four years in a row on TBS, and then a new guy came in, rebranded the network, got rid of all the original programming, so he, he booted us. But uh, we, we cut it into half-hour shows, like 177 half-hour shows, sold the format worldwide, um, and it's great. So you know, they have their own hosts in, you know, mm. in Sri Lanka and things like that. You'd have someone else stepping on, we had shot plates for green screen and things, so it was a, uh, it's all over the world, people know it, the brand is really well known, yeah. and because the brand is so well known, it wasn't so hard for us to go out and find stories. People would come to us and go, this belongs on Ripley's Believe It or Not, and they would come to us, so we had such a, a, a vast wealth of these stories coming in, uh, and I loved doing the show. I mean, I would watch some of the bits and pieces for the first time and just lose my mind because they're either hysterical or gross or funny. Anybody ever watch that show out there? Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you remember? I know about you people. <laughs> and I applaud Was you. anyone featured on the show? Uh, do you remember any of the bizarre true stories that were covered on that show? Anything stick out to this day like, whoa? I remember a lot of them, but one of the things, I've, I'm a history guy, so I study history in college. I do documentaries now that deal with some real historical things that are going on and uh, things that we haven't talked about and bring them to light, and so it's important to me, history. Mm -hmm. And one of the segments we had on there always was about history things and, and interesting historical artifacts. So when John Wilkes Booth assassinated President Lincoln in Ford Theater, he did so with a Derringer. And he shot him with a Derringer and then he jumped off and he hit the stage and broke his leg and 
when he did that, he also dropped his secondary Derringer, fell out. Yeah. Ripley's, believe it or not, has that Derringer, so I got to hold that Derringer. On the, on the handle of it, it says J. Wilkes Booth. And, I mean, it was just amazing to see that piece of history. Things like that stick out to me wow. tremendously. Some of the very odd folks stick out to, um, as well in my mind, the, the people who try to tr transform themselves into their spirit animals, so to speak, and they implant like, you know, um, they drill things in their face and they put these things in where they can screw in um, whiskers, like whiskers and a cat man and he tattooed his face and had fangs and might have used a kitty litter box at home. I don't know. Actually, I do know we had to verify a lot of things. But um, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was crazy. And the thing people ask me about that show all the time is they go, you know, how much of it was real? And, and I always said, that, and one of the things I try to push on the show is everything we have on is real. We would do one segment where we called it Spot the Knot. We would show three things and go, one of these is not real. The others are real. And there was only one that wasn't. So other than that, everything on the show was 100% real. So um, the world is a strange place. Uh, and it's fascinating and wonderful. And, and, and I just loved making that show. I would like to still make that show. So yep. if I could work that out, I'd get another series going right now. <laughs> For sure. Uh, I, I wanted to bring up one of your more current roles, which brings a lot of this full circle in a way. Um, do we have Supergirl fans in the house? I've seen some Supergirls yeah. out there. That's right. Nice. Uh, so, of course, on Supergirl, you play Supergirl's adoptive Earth father, Dr. Jeremiah Danvers, um, opposite Helen Slater, who, of course, played Supergirl in the 1984 film. Um, I, it's so cool seeing you two recognized in those roles. It's, I mean, if, if you're a longtime fan of the franchise, of the Super franchise, uh, to see you two, like, yes, that feels right. I'm so glad for that. Um, uh, it, I've got to say, I, I particularly liked your appearance in, in the pilot episode where we see you at Helen Slater for a really quick beat on the Danvers estate, which uh, looks like it was indeed filmed in one of those 2% humidity locations. It's like a golf course in it Hawaii. It happened to have been shot look, in uh, Malibu. All right, it just happens to be where I live. That's an easy day. Shocker, it was great. I, and I, I love how uh, it, it's basically sending Supergirl off for, for her life. and. Um, uh, Helen Slater has a line, you're right behind her. The camera focuses on your face and you give a nice fatherly like, mm-hmm, that's right. And then it like just says, special guest, Dean Kane, and that's it. Like, <laughs> man, that is how you do it. That's how you earn a day's work right there. That was, uh, I love that. Greg Berlanti uh, is the exec producer of, of that at Flash Arrow. Um, uh, DC of Legends of Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. I'd worked with Greg back in the day on a show called The Broken Hearts Club, his mm. first directorial de debut and um, sort of a story of his coming of age in Hollywood kind of a thing. And that was great. We were good friends. And, and he, the, what they did there is they brought in a lot of us to, to give it a nod you know, to the comic books and honest goodness to the fandoms, um, everybody here. You know, it's because I don't think, you know, when I first was doing Lois and Clark, Comic-Cons and things weren't so common, you wouldn't, it wouldn't happen, you wouldn't have that interaction. And as time has gone on, the Comic-Cons have become more and more popular, um, and the characters have become more and more popular. It's, it's, it was kind of great, and I think that really was an impetus for them to go back and say, let's, let's bring everybody in on this. Let's bring you know, Terry Hatcher in as Queen Rhea, and, and let's bring Linda Carter in and have her play the president, and let's do these things. And I think that's a great ode to you know, the comic book geeks out there and the fandom, because I love it. I think it's great fun, so I'm glad that they did that. I think it was a really good nod to, yeah. to end respect to the characters and the history of it all. 
For sure, for sure. And it certainly takes advantage of the fact that, that the, the DC Comics franchises specifically have a really long life uh, on screen, whether it's TV or film, so that they can pull from that. I mean, uh, we don't necessarily have that, say, with the Marvel movies, just because there's not necessarily the deep well of, uh, of, of filmed entertainment. So for sure, yeah, when we can get like, can Linda Carter do it? Let's do it. Can can you or can yeah? Absolutely, as as you say, I think that's a great great way. Oh my! I will say this though, uh, DC owns television certainly in the comic book mm -hmm. world, but Marvel's kicking their tail in, in, in the feature length movies hadn't right noticed, now. Hadn't noticed. Hadn't noticed. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they are. Um, I saw Deadpool two the other day. Um, I didn't like it as much as Deadpool one, so I don't know if anybody agrees with me on that or not. Anybody? <laughs> do you agree with that? Yeah, Deadpool one. Deadpool two was funny. Deadpool 1 was better. I liked it more. Um, my son and I went and saw it together, and we didn't say a word until it was over. I looked at him, he looks at me, he goes, I thought it'd be a little better. And I loved the first one so much that I actually have a couple of little Superman Funko things in my house and one Deadpool. Hey. That's how much I liked it. Uh, but I think Ryan Reynolds is the greatest Deadpool of all time and does a great job with the character. But I like the first one a little bit more. He's great. Just a little more. Uh, you, you've got over 150 acting credits, and, and in many, uh, many episodes of TV within some of those credits. I know. It's remarkable. It's That's remarkable. a lot. This man's IMDb page, I swear to God, is nine <laughs> days long. That's good. Uh, can, can you talk about working uh, with so many directors and the importance of the directors, how good directors raise you up, how bad directors might hinder the process? Well, you'll notice, you'll see a lot of people team up together a lot of times. Spielberg and Tom Hanks. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese, you develop a rapport. You're the most important person in making any film is your director, always. And people don't understand that unless you're making the film. The director makes every decision, uh, how your performance is gonna go, and then afterward, if they didn't like the performance you gave, they can change it in post by editing and changing things and moving things around. They can do everything. Your storyteller is your director. Even though someone else wrote the script, it may come out differently because the director really is your storyteller. And that is, that is the most important person. So um, there are certain directors that if they call me right now and said, hey, I got a film for you, um, you know, on Tuesday, can you come out here on Tuesday for a week? It, it, without even knowing what the character was, I would say yes. Mm -hmm. Because they know me, they know what I can do as an actor, and, and I know they're gonna be a great storyteller and I'll fit in somehow. So there are a number of people that I would work with like that in a heartbeat. Um, and and that, is th that is your most important person all the time. And sometimes you have a really weak director, and that's tough, and it's frustrating. And you feel like, I'm, I'm the son of a director, so my father's a director, so he'll, I've seen the work that he does and what he says, and uh, it's really interesting to go work with someone and go, okay, this is, this is different, this is not somebody who's gonna be, I, I really wanna work with, I'll do my thing. You have to protect yourself, too, because they're gonna ask you to do things. You're like, no, 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 that, that doesn't make any sense and you have to, so your, your job as an actor is to protect that character and, and do your job. And you don't want to be at odds with your director, but there are times, say on a television show, on television shows, quite often your, your directors don't direct the actors that much. Especially if, like on Lois and Clark, we get a director come in who had never directed the show, and we're in season three, I don't need them to tell me where the character's been or what sure. he's thinking or feeling. Sure. So it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting thing on, on, on television we do an episodic versus you know, films or something like that. Film directors have a lot more leeway, and it's a it's a one-off. Yeah. Um, I think that might have been part of the deal with Deadpool too. They changed their director, so that might have something to do with it. It did, it did. Although I think the new director maybe directed, maybe the first John Wick and Atomic Blonde with Charlize Theron. I so love. He, he knows what he's doing. I love sure. the first but, John Wick, but it's a different uh, different chemistry. I didn't say anything about Atomic Blonde though. 
Oh. Anybody? Anybody? I like the Tom McMahon myself, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I love John Wick, and and yeah. two was great too. Sure, sure, very nice. Keanu does a nice job. Anybody? No. Yes, sir. So I'm just curious: is there an ideal Superman story that hasn't been adapted yet in film that you personally like to see adapted into film? Yes. That is the continuation of Lois and Clark. I would love to see. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see where Lois and Clark are 25 years later. Um, and I've been talking about this, and I'd love to pitch it to Warner Brothers. I'd love to see, you know, where they are. I think that, you know, probably Lois would be mayor of Metropolis, um, and I think they'd have a couple kids. They would figure that out, and the kids would be, you know, having some superpowers and not. And, Superman would still have the cape and, and try to do his thing. But I think it'd be really interesting to catch up with the characters 20 years later and see them still in love with each other and everything wonderful. So I think it'd be, I think it'd be a lot of fun to shoot. I'd love to shoot, you know, six episodes of that. Hey, Dean. Hey. Back when you did Superman, it was a lot more practical effects versus CGI and things like that. Can you, could you tell us a little bit about that and, like, what would maybe have a story or something with that? Absolutely. Well, the difference... Uh, so... We had a smaller budget back then, too, and, and effects cost a lot more. I mean, computers have gone unbelievably far. Um, we, you know, when I was watching them shoot uh, George Clooney's Batman, even then, those guys were starting to get into the place where, you know, George would come in and go, like, hey, let's stop this, and then they go to an action sequence, and some other dude would jump in and be able to do the whole lot. I was like, that's not fair. You can't you just switch it out. And then Spider-Man came on with Tobey Maguire, and he was completely CGI. I'm like, that's really not fair. You can't do that. I had a pair of, you know, tights on, and I had to do everything. I was breaking through walls, and I was jumping off of things, and uh, so it was a time. It was good. I was a professional athlete, so it's a good thing that I had been to do all that. Um, but it, it's it's really interesting to watch. I like the practical effects because you know they're very real. The CGI can, it's a great tool, but sometimes they use it too much, and you're seeing things. I like the just. No offense to the Justice League movie, but it was just so much. It was so big because they can do so much. It becomes numbing, you know. And, and so I kind of lost my my thing for that. I was like, I don't, you know, I know everything's gonna blow up and everybody's gonna, you know. Uh, so I, I like the practical effects. It's a lot more time to film. You got to be, you know, a, a good athlete, and there's some bumps and bruises. But I think they play real well. It gives it sort of that, um, I don't know, that vintage thing. Now, um, I think the, when they use CGI now correctly, it's great, but they can get out of control with it a little too much. Uh, and I, I don't like that. You know, that's kind of a bummer. You know, I, I, do, I do like when the, the superhero landing, you know, boom, and everything. That's cool. That's cool. But some of the other stuff is a little too much. What do you like about being a superhero? What do, I, what do you like about being a superhero? Um, I like, I like play, playing a superhero because I like that families, especially when I played Superman, that families would sit and watch uh, Lois and Clark together. And I, that's one of the most rewarding things that I always hear at Comic-Cons when I get to talk to people. Because when you're shooting a show, you don't have any interaction with fans. You don't talk to people. And back then, in the Stone Age that we were in, um, the internet was in its infancy, and so you didn't get a lot of re response. So to get out and speak to fans and have people tell you, listen, um, watching your show got me through high school because I wasn't comfortable, I, wasn't, I didn't feel accepted, and I would go there and watch this stuff, and I felt, you know, 
comfortable, it was my escape, or things like that, or I watched it with my grandmother or my grandparents, or this is when I sat down and watched every weekend. I got to stay up a little bit later that night so I get all my homework done so I could watch it. That stuff to me is amazing to feel, because as a parent, it's stuff that I've done with my own son. So I think that's the greatest part of having played a superhero is to be a part of people's lives and to sort of continue that going forward, so much so that you even wear Supergirl, which I think is great. Would you go on the Superman roller coaster here? Would I go on the Superman roller coaster? <laughs> it's calling to you, Dean. <sighs> so that's Batman that's going right now? Are you asking me to go on it with you? Cause, no, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> would I go on it? I, I would. Here's what I, all right. I don't like spinning around. I will go green and I will projectile vomit. It's not pretty and then I'm ill for the whole rest of the day. It's terrible. I went on, I forgot, because sometimes I forget that I was that, my son was six or seven years old. I was like, let's go, we'll go on the teacup thing. We're on the teacup thing and we're spinning around. I, right when we started spinning, I'm like, oh no. But what do I do, right? I can't do anything, he's seven. He's like, this is so fun. Mm -hmm. Green and ruined for the rest of the day. So I don't like spinning around. I like roller coasters. Superman, my understanding is it's it's just that way and then back, right? It's sort of that, or is it a big drop? What is it? Anyone? It's like you're flying, Dean. It's like you're flying. Oh, you lay flat. Oh, sure, I'd do that. Did you ever have to save your Superman friends by yourself? Did I ever have to save my Superman friends by myself? Well, yes, sometimes. Um, sometimes um, I've had to do it in real life, and sometimes I've had to do it, you know, on the show. Um, the thing about Superman is, is he'll always try and help. And that's kind of my favorite thing about him. Even if the odds are stacked against him, he'll do anything he can do to try to help. Now, to do that in real life sometimes takes a lot more bravery because we're all very mortal. Um, but I think it's a great lesson for anybody is to try to help those that are less fortunate or those who are in trouble. So if you can see somebody in trouble and you can help them, if somebody's bullying somebody or picking on somebody and you can help stand up for them, it's a good thing, buddy. I'm not gonna lie. That's my, right. my favorite question, my favorite answer this entire panel. I'm not crying, you're crying. <laughs> How you doing, Mr. Kane? I'm doing well. Very nice looking suit you got there, sir. Thank you. They wouldn't allow me to wear my Superman suit because we can't have Superman here. Uh, well, it's you're gonna. It's but a whole I do, thing. You cross realms, yeah. time changes. This is Superman as Green Lantern from Elseworlds. What is that? Superman dressed up as Green Lantern from Elseworlds. From Elseworlds. Uh -huh. As soon as the crisis you from Infinite Earth happens, like you can wear whatever you want. You photo four times in Morristown. See, that just my brain explodes with that stuff. <laughs> I just all I go to back to is Deadpool. Don't make the super suit green. There you go. There you go. Okay, so my question is. How did it feel playing the evil guy on Smallville, talking to Clark? That was interesting, you know, because I think I was in the seventh season of Smallville when I came and guested. Now, Christopher Reeve had guest started on Smallville before, and Christopher Reeve is my favorite Superman. So when I think of Superman, that's who I think of, and, and um, I thought he was amazing. Um, I didn't like his Clark Kent, not the way he played. I just didn't like the character being, trying to be nerdy and that whole thing. Um, I, I prefer George Reeves' character in that sense, and I borrowed a little bit from both when I played my characters. Uh, so those guys were in season seven on Smallville, and uh, they had it running like a well-oiled machine. They were great. So Christopher Reeve had come on and played that, that role, and I knew when they said, you know, will you come on and play something? I said, absolutely, let's try to figure it out. Because once Christopher had done it, I had such great respect for him that I would do it. So we found a character we thought was fun, and the timing worked out, and it was great fun to come on there. To be a bad guy, suddenly be, like, you don't guest star on a show and be the good guy. 
You know, you can't be bigger than, it's, it just doesn't happen. Um, so I knew I was gonna be the bad guy, but he had a reason for doing what he was doing, and when bad guys have a purpose, it's kind of fun to play. The weird part was when we sort of had to bang heads with each other um, that I had to fight with Superman, you know? It was an odd thing. Well, he wasn't, he was Clark, but he had superpowers, and um, so I will tell this one story. Uh, and I've told him before, Janine, so you can't tell me the story. Um, so uh, we were on set and there was a big thing going on. There was a big fight, the big finale. And, and uh, Clark had to super speed through stuff to get somewhere and do something. So we're rehearsing it and all the other actors have to move. This is back to the practical effects day. We had to move sort of slowly as he did things and he cruised through. But as we were rehearsing it, Tom Welling was going through and going like, and I was like, Tom, no, we, we, we don't make soup, you know, we don't make the sound effects, it doesn't. <laughs> but I felt like, I felt like that's the one thing I could do for him. But it was really fun to see someone else having to do the super stuff and me not have to do that. And, and it was an odd feeling, because I'm used to having to be the guy in the fight or the guy doing the yeah. things. So it was odd to not be the guy doing that. And it still happens, you know, when I do Supergirl and, 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 and she's got to get up there, Melissa has to get up there and on the teeter-totter and the things and hang on the wires and stuff. And I go, I know how that feels at three o'clock in the morning hanging from a tree in Vancouver. I know how it feels, you know? Um, and it's cold and off it goes and then you got to do the thing. It's, it's, it's tough, but it's, it's odd to see someone else doing it, but I think it's great. I think they all did a, they both so, did a great so job. So if, if you were doing small, follow-up question, Bean. If you were on Smallville, and this was season seven-ish, right? Yep. And on season seven, you're telling uh, Tom Welling, you know you don't need to do the sounds. <laughs> Does this mean that for seven seasons, the rest of the cast is like, he's doing it again? He's doing it again. He's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Boom. Yeah, probably. Could someone, no one? <laughs> great, great. I'm glad he said that, finally. <laughs> Who's your favorite DC character not counting Superman and Marvel character? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear that. Who's your favorite DC character not counting Superman and Marvel character? Who's my favorite character not counting DC, not counting Superman? Yeah. Are there, are there other characters? Ah, ah, ah. I am a big fan of, of Wonder Woman. I'm probably a bigger fan of Gal Gadot, so let me throw that out there right now, because she's amazing. Uh, she, is. she is. She is pretty awesome. Uh, I, the character I really enjoyed the most in the last bit, I mean, I thought Captain America, the first one, was amazing. Love it. I, I love that. I'm a history guy, and I love that period of time, and I thought that was really incredibly well done. So I like that, which is kind of Superman, kind of a mix in there. Um, but if I had to pick one that I thought was a lot of fun to watch, it's got to be Deadpool. <laughs> Gotta be Deadpool. I like that sense of humor that he has with the other characters. I'll tell you who it's not. It's not Batman, okay? It's not Batman. Whoa, whoa. Although, if they called me and said, hey, you wanna play Batman tomorrow? I might say yes. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> What's that? Batman with a Superman suit underneath. Just mix it all up. Dean, um, you didn't answer the question of whether you're going to be in the next season of Supergirl, and how, how do you feel about playing that that role where now he's kind of good and bad in a way. He's got motivations that, that are somewhat confused at times, so. First of all, I'm gonna say I love your shirt. It's the Superman S with the American flag on. It's great for Memorial Day, which is fantastic. I'll be in Washington, D.C., by the way, tomorrow, co-hosting the Memorial Day Parade. So I'll be there doing that Thank tomorrow. You. So I think that's great. And, and appreciate anybody. There were some law enforcement here earlier and some uniformed folks, and thank you all for what you do. Appreciate you guys. Um, Supergirl is great fun. I love doing it. Um, 
you know, there's a scheduling situation. We've got to work out schedules. Uh, Jeremiah Danvers is still alive until he's killed. And even if he got killed, I'm not even sure he'd be dead because you can do that on this, these things. Um, Jeremiah Danvers is still alive. Um, I, you know, I want him to be a good guy. I'm hoping he's a good guy. I think he's a good guy. Um, I think we sort of established that with what he did with his daughter. And, and I think he really was trying to help. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he comes back now because he's been in Cadmus for so long and been away. And uh, there's always a lot of talk about him being Cyborg Superman. Um, I know Cyborg Superman sort of existed in David Harewood's other character. Um, I'll, I'll be a little candid here and tell you David doesn't love playing Cyborg Superman because he can't see anything out of that one eye. And every time he has the thing on, I smack him on that side of the head. <laughs> and, um, no, he hasn't. It's just, he's, got, he's playing so many characters. He's such a talented actor. He's playing so many characters, and he felt like that one wasn't as developed. And I agree with that. And so I thought they were going with the arm with my character, that he was going to be a cyborg Superman. Maybe that'll happen. You know, I would love to see something happen where we got to come full circle and, and, and be able to tell the story. I know we're, Supergirl's picked up for another season, so um, I would like to be able to bring that character full circle and, and, and either to a close or, or have some sort of a, a, a resolution with him. But uh, I feel very confident that he's still alive. Obviously, there's nothing written in stone. I think he's, I think he's alive, and I think we're going to see him in season four. Dean, what's going on? <laughs> hey, Michael, there you are. All right, we're going to switch gears a little bit here. I know we're talking all about uh, superheroes and stuff, but uh, just want to say congratulations with uh, Architects of Denial and uh, being an, uh, a, a medal award winner. Uh, and also, to just want to know any follow-ups to that right now? Or I know we're talking about all IMDb credits and stuff, but uh, you know, just trying to switch gears, just seeing what's going on. So. I appreciate that, Michael. Yeah, I did a, a documentary... Um, it took us five years to make the documentary on a serious note. Um, I'm a history major from Princeton University. I take it very seriously. I take you know, war and diplomacy very seriously. I took my comprehensive exams in that. Um, using that part of my degree, uh, I did a documentary last year. It took us five years to make. It's called Architects of Denial. It dealt with the Armenian genocide that took place from 1915 to 1923. Uh, a very terrible event in, in the world's history and um, it was denied by governments that it ever took place, and that denial led directly to the Holocaust and other denials. Plausible deniability allowed other governments to do that, and it's happened a number of times. We've had a number of genocides take place since then. So I did this picture. It was very well received. I was able to go to back to Armenia, where I've been a number of times. The president of Armenia, I, I won the, uh, the Order of Armenia, which is the highest civilian honor that you can win, which is great. Um, thank you. It was a... Very, very good feeling to be able to tell that story. When I meet our, anybody who's Armenian, they go, thank you for telling the story. And I did a small thing in telling that story. Um, but it also, myself, Montel Williams, who exec produced with me, it sparked something in us. And we, we are doing more documentaries around human rights and around genocide. And we're doing it currently. We're in the middle of doing a documentary on the rise of anti-Semitism throughout the world and the denial of the Holocaust, which is for some strange reason is appearing in a lot of places now. People, governments, people are denying that it ever took place. And I mean, I was in Auschwitz in Poland last year in September. You know, it, 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 the, the, the proof is there. It's like the Armenian genocide. People want to sort of sweep it under that didn't exist. And so we're shooting that now and um, involved, you know, in between making films like Man Camp, um, <laughs> I will go out and do these things. So I, I find it extremely worthwhile. And it, 
if you can make a difference in this world, it's a great thing to be able to do. And so uh, I'm fortunate to be in the position to be able to make those kind of films. So thank you for Absolutely. asking me that, Mike. Thank you, Dean. Thank you for what you do. Let's, uh, we have time for two more questions. Uh, right here. Go ahead, sir. Hi, how you doing, Dean? I'm doing great. Thank you. All right. Um, I've been a fan for a long time since I was eight watching you. So um, it's a pleasure to see you. Um, my question is, is that um, besides Supergirl and Smallville being on those shows, are there any other shows on the CW that you would want to be on? And is there any um, other movies going forward you want to be on in, towards the future? First of all, you were eight years old when I was doing Superman. I appreciate that. <laughs> how just, dare you get out? <laughs> you just made it clear how much older I am than you. And that, it hurts a lot. It stings. It stings a bit. Um, I, yeah, you know, I, I, I loved uh, playing the character. Um, the CW world, you know, playing Jeremiah Daniels is a lot of fun. My son likes to watch Arrow, so I would want to get on that show just so my son would watch me because he's never he never watches anything I do. Kids, it's your own kids, right? Oh, all you parents out there, smack your kid. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Oh, <laughs> she got one. Again, here's a brochure to man camp. <laughs> no, it's funny. <laughs> you know, he, uh, my son never watched Lois and Clark because um, it had DVDs. And, you know, he had to put a DVD in a player. And kids nowadays, if they can't stream it, it doesn't exist. I was like, what are you doing? Put it in. He's like, oh, it's a DVD, Dad. I was like, what? That's not even the oldest thing, buddy. This is called a VHS tape. And he's like, <laughs> the heck is that? Um, so, uh, and he finally actually watched it. It was airing on Hulu or something. And he's like, hey, it's pretty good. I've been trying to tell you that for 15 years, kid. Um, so it was, it was fun. But I, I don't know that there's anybody that I would want to play particularly right now on the CW. I don't know, but I, I think the shows are all a lot of fun. So I would be interested in, you know, it'd be fun to play another superhero. There's only been a few people who got to play a couple superheroes. Um, obviously, um, uh, Ryan Reynolds did that, and uh, Ben Affleck has sort of done that. And, well, I guess he has. He's done three, really. Well, two and a half, I don't know. Uh, and uh, it, it'd be a lot of fun to play somebody else. I can't think of in particular who it would be, but, but I'd be open to, to doing that for sure. And was there one other part of that question that I missed? Other movies? So beyond, other movies, beyond oh the, gosh. Beyond TV? Yeah, I'm doing movies like crazy. You know, I'll try and con condense my time. See, I'm a single father. And for the last 18 years, my son turns 18 in June. For the last 18 years, I would not take the lead in any television show. I would not take any show that shots out of, out of Los Angeles a series, and I wouldn't do any movie that's shot for longer than three weeks because I'm a, I'm a father first, and I would not be an absentee father. So, so I've done that. <laughs> so I wouldn't do that. So my son turns 18 uh, on the on the 11th of June, and I'm going to throw him out of the house and go back to work. <laughs> no, uh, no, but it allows me to do anything and. And, and to travel a lot more and take, and, and if I want to take the lead in the series, uh, I can now consider that. There's a lot of things that I turned down in the last 18 years. Uh, because when, once you do the lead of a series, that's your life. That's what you're doing 24 seven, basically, for 10 months a year. Yes, sir. Hi, Dean. How are you? Good, good. Um, I'd like to know, what was your favorite scene, part, or moment from Lois and Clark? Ah, very good question. Were you even old enough to see it? some of the episodes. All right. He was, he was negative eight. He was negative 38, I think he was. <laughs> uh, he was a young man. Um, yes, my favorite, I think my favorite moment, like even the, out there on, my, on the little table where we have pictures of, of Lois and Clark and things like that and Superman, my favorite picture there is a black and white one where Lois is behind Clark and she's pulling open the S and the S is in color. 
um, that sort of, to me, typify what the show is about. It's about the relationship between them. And yes, he's got the Superman thing, but she helps him have his strength and know who he is. So the moment, my, one of my favorite moments, and I thought it was magical on the show, was when Clark Kent proposes to her. And it's raining, like we might have been in New Jersey at the time. <laughs> and it's raining, and he's about to ask her, and he, of course it starts pouring rain, and he asks her to marry him, and she says, who's asking? Clark or Superman. So that was the whole thing. That, that to me was the greatest moment in the show that I remember, and I really love that. Right on. That's it for this episode of 1.21 Gigawatts. Many thanks to Dean Kane, as well as Dave O'Hare and Sal Zerzolo at the Garden State Comic Fest, who invited me to be a part of the event. Thanks also to Bill Spadia and the good folks in events at Six Flags Great Adventure. A special shout-out also to Lulu French and Scott Barton for talking about Incredibles 2. In fact, Lulu and Scott wanted to add something. Okay, we took a break to make the list. The list of Jack-Jack's powers, because this had to be done. This is really super important stuff. All right, so here are the ones that we forgot to mention. Scott? Okay, we have lightning. We're going to count in the fight with the raccoon he kicks the raccoon all the way across the yard and i'm going to count that as super strength okay we have to explain lightning okay in lightning where bob holds him up and he says you have superpowers yeah baby jack jack has a little explosion of powers there and he lights on fire has a little bit of lightning and then shoots lasers okay right so that's where we get lightning yeah okay i just explained super strength uh-huh we're going to count that mm-hmm we totally blanked on duplication, which is a really big one in the movie. Mm-hmm. He has telekinesis, where before the fight with the raccoon, he takes a trash lid, lifts him up, lifts it up with his mind, and places it back on the trash can. Great. Okay, and then we that we were up to fifteen at that point. So these were the ones that we came up with. Right. But then there were still two others allegedly missing because Bob in the movie says he's got seventeen powers. Yeah. So I of course I went to Google to see what it had to tell me. Save us, internet. Save us. We did our best. <laughs> well, you know, we uh, as a family had a little discussion about telekinesis versus levitation. And this wasn't even for this segment. This is just something that we do a lot of the time. <laughs> the All right. Thing. So. Yeah, floating slash levitation separate from telekinesis is a power. According to some dude on the internet. All right. So. <laughs> okay, so uh, there's telekinesis, but then there's also levitation. Okay, so that's what's number the difference? 16. That he can make himself float as Hover opposed to float, making yeah. other stuff move around. It's a fine line. I don't, you know, whatever. For the record, I'm with random internet guy. Okay. So then the final one, which actually was in the movie when Bob said... He has the ability to roll credits. No, no. He said, look at you. You don't have a scratch on you. Oh, in, oh, in, in, yes. In vulnerability. Ding, 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 ding. It was right there. That's and we right. Now, Internet Dude did not agree with us that what Jack-Jack did in the car with the blue was one of his superpowers, but we're going to go with that because one of the ones he listed was bunk, I thought. That was a power? Bunk. 
He's <laughs> the ability to create bunk beds spontaneously. You know, oh, Jack Jack is walking like Edna and has facial expressions no, like no. her after they spend time together. And I, you know, we just, that's we called don't, being in a cartoon. We don't, we don't, we don't see that as one of his powers. Uh, so uh, the that one, that's the one we disagree on. We think it's what Jack Jack did in the car, the blue, as opposed to just kind of walking like Edna. There you have it. We wait in. Hope you can sleep better at night, everyone. Yeah, there you go. Much gratitude to you for inviting me into your ear canals to nerd out. It means more to me than you know. I'd love to hear what you think about this latest audio adventure. What do you like? What deserves to be shed faster than Wookie hair on a hot summer day? You can tell me by leaving me a message at one of the show's many social media channels. They are the 1.21 Gigawatts Facebook page, where you can follow and discuss the latest film, TV, comic book, and genre entertainment news. On Twitter, I'm at 121Gigawatts, and on Instagram, I'm 1.21 underscore Gigawatts. Plus, you can find all of those feeds in one magnificent destination at the 1.21 Gigawatts website. It has photos, blog entries, every episode to date, newsletter sign-up information, and more. Head on over to www.121gigawatts.com and wallow in the nerdliness. And if you're not already aware, every episode of this podcast is available for free in the podcast section at the iTunes Store. It's so easy to subscribe and never miss a geeky second. You know what I'd really appreciate? Whether you're a subscriber or not, you can leave the show a review, hopefully a good review, on iTunes, which will help more people find the show because that's how computer algorithms work, apparently. And then we all make some new friends, we introduce some new listeners to the fun we're having here, and that would make me a happy, happy man. It will take 30 seconds and could make such a difference to the team behind this podcast. In fact, we recently received a new five-star review from listener Charlito, with like four T's, who wrote, quote, This podcast is incredible. The humor is so whip-crack fast, and Brad is such an incredible host. I keep asking the question, 1.21GW must have an entire writing staff hiding in his basement, much like The Daily Show or some other such late-night extravaganza, right? Right? The interviews are always engaging, the fun high, the passion deep, the production fantastic, and the sincerity and love of all things geek is like a warm cookie and glass of cold milk. Man, thank you, Charlito, with many T's. That was amazingly nice. Thank you so much. And I'd like to field your inquiry about whether I have a team of writers hiding in my basement. The answer is no, I don't, but only because my basement is already filled with comic books and Star Wars collectibles. Drained Pepsi cans from 1999 with Phantom Menace characters on them count as collectibles, right? As for the rest of you, if you're not an iTunes user, you can also find us by searching for 1.21 gigawatts at soundcloud.com or on Player FM. You found us on one of those platforms, so congratulations. Browse the episodes listed there and check out another one. I'll even make a recommendation. If you enjoyed this chat with big-time TV star Dean Kane, you should check out our very first episode with actor Todd Stashwick, another awesome dude that you know from Heroes, The Originals, and 12 Monkeys, which is now airing its fourth and final season on Sci-Fi. That's episode number one of 1.21 Gigawatts. Put it in your podcast queue today. And if you want to see me do the interview thing live in person, I'll be hosting panels at the Garden State Comic Fest, Morristown, New Jersey edition on July 7th and 8th. 
I'll be interviewing voiceover artists Keone Young and Mary McDonald Lewis, Storm Shadow and Lady J from the classic G.I. Joe animated series, and also a trio of comic book store owners for a state of the industry discussion. You can get all the info on that show at www.gardenstatecomicfest.com. Huge gratitude to the practitioner of the patch cord, composer and my co-producer, David Sisko. You are and remain the best, Sisko. Dear listener, if you enjoyed this travel-sized chunk of geekitude, please share it with a nerdy friend. You can follow, like, etc. all of those social media accounts mentioned a few seconds ago and let people know that you're listening. I'm Brad Barton, and until next time, here's nerd rock band H2Awesome with our rad-tastic theme song. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. gigawatts what every geek wants is what we got from doctor who to aqualad you might meet luke and leia's dad pop culture that is super rad hosted by some guy named brad he'll rock you to your nylon cylon socks 1.21 freaking gigawatts you're a liar there's nothing worse lois i did not lie to you I just told you certain facts to keep you from finding out about certain other facts. You know, you ought to run for president. Oh, but you can't. You weren't born here. Then again, you could just lie. Look at you right now, renting a car. That's a big, fat lie. What do you need a car for? You're Superman. <sighs> Lois, I think we should keep as low a profile as we can. Anything that we change in our past could really affect our future. Well, you always have an answer for everything. You're good, Clark. You're really good. No, actually, I'm not, Lois. I have hated not being able to tell you this. I mean, you think it was easy for me sitting there and watch you swoon over Superman at the same time ignoring me? That's ridiculous. You are Superman. No. Lois, Superman is what I can do. Clark is who I am. <laughs>